The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Ray. If you don't know who I am, it's uh, good to be able to serve you this morning as we come around the Christmas story, one of the uh, as we lead up to Christmas. And this morning, we're going to look at the story from the manger. If you had to pick a, uh, a leader, if you had to pick somebody to solve all of your problems, to solve all of the world's problems, what type of leader would you pick? Would you pick somebody with influence, somebody who is well-connected, somebody who uh, can, go, can uh, connect people up and say, hey, let's solve these problems? Would you connect somebody, would you perhaps pick somebody who's really smart, like Superman, or maybe he's strong? Would you choose somebody like that who would solve the world's crises, like global or climate change, or like the migrant crisis, or like um, the issues we're facing with homelessness and uh, housing shortage, or help you solve your financial problems? Or would you pick somebody who could negotiate peace? There are more than 30 wars right now in the world. Would you pick somebody who could do that? Somebody who had that ability? Or perhaps you would pick somebody rich. Somebody who could use their finances to help those who are poor, that they'd never go hungry. Tonight, today in this story, as we read together, we're going to find three characters. Two of them have... Well, we would normally pick as having amazing abilities to make a difference in this world. And one who we would look at and so say, perhaps not. Let's look at the first one. The Bible says in Luke 1 verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, the setting of what we're going to read today is in this setting. There's Herod. He's the first character. What was Herod like? Would we pick him? Herod was half Jewish. He's Father was a descendant of Esau, so he was an Edomite, and his mother was Jewish. Herod rose to popularity and influence because, largely because his father had um, a good connection with Julius Caesar, the Roman general who became Caesar. And young Herod was made a governor of, Gal- of Galilee and later became king. He had this ability to bring together the, some of these greatest projects on earth and and build things. He was just this amazing organizer, Herod the Great. For example, he built the temple or expanded the temple in Jerusalem. It was 35 acres, or for those of you who use the metric, 14 hectares of building. That's big. He also built these two amazing cities for those who are engineers. He, was the, he used the, the modern or the, the latest technology to, uh, in hydraulic cement and underwater construction to build a harbor at Caesarea Palestinia, which became the hub and the center for the Roman world in that area. He built Sebasti, the great city. But he also established great fortresses just in case he got into trouble. And he built many cities up. He built, he helped Beirut, he helped Damascus, he helped Antioch to become better cities. Would you pick him? Would you pick that person to solve the world's problems? Well, Herod didn't end off 
so well. He had this amazing flaw, this terrible flaw in his character. He was insanely suspicious. He was married 10 or 11 times. He had 43 children, uh, and, and he really only loved one woman, and he became suspicious about her, and so he had her executed. Then he became suspicious about two of his sons who thought that they were going to knock him off his perch, off his throne, and he had them executed. Five days before he died, he had another son of his executed. And by the way, just for good measure, he'd already executed his wife, so he executed his mother-in-law as well. How about that? He knew nobody was going to cry for him. In spite of being this great person, he knew when he died, very few people would mourn his death. And so he had many prominent leaders in Jerusalem arrested and put in prison with the express orders that when he dies, that they're to be executed, that at least somebody would be crying in Jerusalem on that day. Would you pick Herod? There's the next character, Luke 2 verse 1. In those days, Julius, so Caesar Augustus, not Julius, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. There's the second character, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the son of Julius Caesar. About 30 years before the time of Jesus, the Roman, the Rome was a republic. It was governed. There were laws. There were checks and balances to make sure no dictator took over. But Julius Caesar was this great general, and he conquered Gaul and France. Uh, and so he came back with his army. And the Roman senator said to him, you need to disband your army, and he refused, and he crossed the Rubicon. That's where the, the word crossing the Rubicon comes, comes from. He crossed the Rubicon with his armies, and he went into Rome and took over as the dictator. And some began to talk about Julius Caesar as a divine person. When he died, he was murdered, by the way, by a group of friends, the Ides of March, on the Ides of March, remember Brutus and all of that, if you read any of Shakespeare. He was murdered. His son took over, and that's his son here that we read about, Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus began to be known as the son of God, because his father was divine, according to that tradition. Would you pick him? Would you pick, pick Caesar Augustus? What do we know of his influence today, this great person who thought he was divine because his father was divine, so it was said? You know, read about the third character and probably the most well-known story in the Bible that most people in the West certainly know. Let's read Luke 2 from verse 2. So remember, there was a census. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. We're going to see as we read this that God does things very differently to what you and I would pick. And I pray this morning that as we look at this familiar passage once again, we would be challenged to be different to this world. Because this person we're going to read about has profoundly impacted the world we're in. Obviously, it's Jesus. Carry on reading. Luke 2, verse 3. And everyone went to their hometown to register. So Joseph went up from there, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Back in the Old Testament, it was promised that somebody would come from the line of David. David was born in Bethlehem. And he has Joseph going 
to Bethlehem to register for the census. By the way, that's the way that Herod got all the taxes to build everything. They, they went to a place, there was a census, they had to pay taxes for all the building that Herod undertook. Verse 5, and he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, verse 6, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. Let's step into that little manger scene. We were invited to lean into that. Just the manger. Come with me into that place where they were. It says there was no place available in the guest house. In, in, in that culture, a more wealthy person would have had a room where the family lived, and then they would have a guest house. It was the start of Airbnb, right? A guest house. And then they would have a place connected to the house, maybe just with a half wall, but a place connected where the animals were. Or if you were a poorer family, you would just have a big room, and the family would sleep on that side. There would be a lower wall, and the animals would be on this side. Because in winter, it got really cold, snow. Animals needed to be inside. So there was no place in any of these guest rooms that people might have had. So they had to make use of this stable or this place where the animals were, whatever there was. Here's a young couple, Mary, probably a teenager. There she is. It's Joseph. They traveled to Bethlehem. Angel had said to Joseph, don't worry, Mary's pregnant. Um, that, in that culture, you know, being pregnant and you're not married was, was a big deal. He should have really divorced her. But he said, no, I'm going to go to Bethlehem. I take Mary with me. They're not yet married. He's taking a teenage girl on a trip. They're not yet married. Imagine the talk in the, in the community about that. Here's this couple, all of the promises of God, but yet they find themselves in this dirty stable. Joseph, not, not wealthy enough to use his money to influence and make a deal in the town to find a pl- better place for Mary. In fact, in Luke 2, as we read further, when they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus and have him circumcised, the offering they gave was two pigeons, and that was only for poor people. They offered two pigeons, so they were poor, not married. In this stable, and I thought to myself, why did they, why did they put Jesus in, a, in an animal trough? Why, why would you do that? Picture, if you're a young mom and you had a little baby, how would you put it in an animal trough? What we know is we see next week that that's the one, one way that the shepherds would know which baby they needed to go and look for. But the other reason, friends, remember, there are animals there. I don't want animals do when they stand around, right? It would have been messy. I'm going to put your baby on the floor. So she puts him in this animal trough. The son of God came to serve. The Son of God came to be identified with 
the poor people of this world. With the downtrodden, with the outcast, with those who've been given labels. Those who are not popular. The world's great leaders, he came to be born in a stable. And I wonder if we have overlooked the profound character of God that is being displayed here. That God is a God who loves us so deeply that he's prepared to serve you. We know from the Bible that the Trinity, they serve each other. It's one of the reasons Jesus said the Holy Spirit won't just make some stuff up. He won't just have his own agenda. You'll talk about me because the Holy Spirit is serving and honoring Jesus and Jesus honors the Father and I believe the Father honors the Holy Spirit. There is this relationship of care demonstrating their love for each other by serving each other. And so profoundly he's come to this world to demonstrate his love for you by serving you. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Who, being in very nature God, talking about Jesus, Jesus did not consider equality with God the Father something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. There in this manger that we saw, this coming to serve rather than to be served, think about it, friends. He's in the city of David. He's in the place where he could have said, I'm the king. David was my forefather. I'm the king. This is my rightful place. And showing up in pomp and ceremony, but he didn't. He took on human likeness, came to serve. There's something profound in God's character here. Why would a holy God, powerful God, also serve? Because that's what it means to love. In the Old Testament, we read in Exodus 34, God's talking to Moses, giving him the Ten Commandments. And Moses said, I'd like to see you. And in Exodus 34, we read, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate. This is what God is saying to Moses as he passes by. And he's got his back to Moses, and Moses can really only see his back. But look how God describes himself. What's the first word he uses? The compassionate. Gracious slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. My friends, this morning, manger, the message of the manger tells us that our God is a God who serves, who serves, they serve each other and they've come to serve you. Why? Why would they want to serve you and me? I believe Jesus, when he came to do that, he's undoing the fall. You think about what happened at the fall. What happened with our ancestors? They served themselves. The Son of Man comes in deep and profound love. 
to begin to undo the very nature in us that has caused the destruction around us, the wars, the taking advantage of others, the lying, cheating, stealing in our world that we see. He's come to undo that with the opposite nature. He's come to serve. See, God did not put on a show to impress us. He put on skin to save us. Let's say this morning, friends, that you are never more like Jesus Christ than when you lay down your life for others in Jesus' name. We somehow use this analogy that we have to be this holy person. Yes, we need to be. God's holy. But the demonstrated love of Jesus is that actually the most people, people who are most like Jesus are people who lay down their lives to serve others. If you think about it, every sin in the Bible is something where we serve ourselves instead of serving God and serving others. The Ten Commandments, you can divide them into commandments against God. We would rather don't have any other gods beside me. Yeah, we love to have our own gods. And then all the other commandments about, you know, doing good for your neighbor, etc., lying, stealing, cheating. Every sin is something where we serve ourselves rather than God or others. And as I was reflecting on that, perhaps I might just read this little list from Ephesians chapter 4. It's not on your screen, but listen to what Paul, the Apostle Paul says as he writes to the church at Ephesus. Uh, a city known for uh, just the way of life that just was so ungodly. And think about how what he lists, how these things are the root of that is our own Selfishness, serving ourselves rather than serving others. Just think of each of these things as he lists them. He says, um, Ephesians 4 from verse 25, he says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who is stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. For the day of redemption, get rid of bitterness and rage and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you notice how Jesus Christ gives himself up for us, coming as this baby in a manger in a dirty stable, the Son of God? Gives up his own comfort, the things he could have held on to, but because of his love for us, he's came, come to 
demonstrate what it means to truly be a follower of God. Somebody who is focused on serving God and others. Not putting ourselves down. Humility, as you've heard, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others more than what we do. I want to say as we just simply look at this little picture, the message of the manger. Imagine the kind of church. Imagine a church. Imagine what the community would say about a church where we truly lay down our lives for each other. Where we truly don't make it about me, myself, but make it about you. And you do the same to me. Imagine what our community would say about such a place. And I know we're not perfect. I know the Son of God who came and is beginning to undo the fall is still working that out in me. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans, and I find myself doing just when I think I'm doing good, I'm going, gee, that was good, Ray. I'm getting in the way again of God's Spirit working through me. So we are on this journey, and the Son of God comes in this helpless form to demonstrate to us that, hey, we're on this journey of growth. But imagine for a moment what it would look like if we were truly like the Son of God, laying down our lives for each other. As I close, three things. Firstly, we are so good at beating ourselves up and saying we are unworthy of the compassion and love of God. God didn't ask us about that. He came. He came to serve. That you may be saved and changed. So this morning, let me encourage you to receive God's unconditional compassion and love for you. No yes buts. No, if he only knew me, what I did yesterday, what I watched last night, What I said to my spouse this morning, the way I behaved toward my kid, if he only knew me, he wouldn't love me. But he does. Unconditionally. He's come to serve you and be your Lord. That's another sermon. He's come to serve you. Secondly, I want to encourage you to give up your small ambitions. I know that's a hard term, right? We have ambitions in life to become something, to do something. Especially if you're younger, you want to make a name for yourself. You want to, you want to do something with your life. And, and us older folks, we're wondering where all the time went, right? But I want to say to you, even now, no matter your age, give up your small ambition of building your own empire. And instead, young people, give up your life to follow Jesus Christ. He is worthy of following. He's worthy of giving up your life for. Remember, we spoke about Herod and about Julius Caesar. We would go, oh, those are people to emulate. But they have left no mark compared to Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to give up your small ambition, to take up your cross. That means to put to death our own selfishness, our own self-serving attitude, my own self-serving attitude, and follow him every day. 
And then lastly, just practically, find somebody to serve in Jesus' name this Christmas. If you can, invite somebody home who doesn't have a place to go to for Christmas. Make space for somebody else. In some way, I would encourage you to profoundly serve someone else. And in that moment, to be undo that bent in us, which is so self-focused. As we come to the close of this, the message of the manger is that God has put on skin not to... Not a, no, he hasn't put on a show to impress us. He's put on skin to save us. And we are never more like Jesus Christ than when we truly serve someone else, when we truly lay down our life to serve others in Jesus' name. Hey, let's pray. Let's ask God for his help. He's come to give us his help. That's why he came. He knows where you're at. He knows where I'm at. He knows what you're thinking He knows where your energy levels are at. He knows what's concerning you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm blown away by the profoundness of you being born in a stable or a place where animals were. should have been born in the palace. You should have had people all around you looking after you. But you didn't. You chose that. You chose to identify with us. You came into the mess. Life is bustling around where you were born. You came into busy life. You came as a gentle baby to serve us, to show us the way, to undo the fall, to die for us that we might, that debt may be paid, this terrible debt we had when we rebelled against the Father and against you and against the Holy Spirit. And we served ourselves rather than serving you. Shape us all to be more like Jesus in this moment, Holy Spirit. Would you apply this simple message to our hearts? Would you encourage us with the knowledge that we are deeply loved by God? Unconditionally. No strings attached. Because we are in Christ. And those who don't yet know that you are inviting them in this morning, simply say, I give up myself and my small ambition to follow you, Jesus. I trust you for what you did for me on that cross and in your life. Lord, this morning, would you come and fill us with the ability to serve, the supernatural ability. I pray, Lord, for those who have served so much this year that they are tired. They're all wondering if somebody else is going to serve them. They have given and given and given. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would fill them, but that somebody else would also serve them. 
So, Lord, I honor today. I honor you. And I honor those who serve us in this church every day. No matter the weather, they're there. Some are on holiday already. Give them a refreshing time. And Lord, might we, we in the new year learn what it means to lay down our lives for each other. Because this is what love is. This is how the community will know that we are yours. This is your command. Help us do it. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.